Good afternoon, I'm Dennis Vitorin, and this is the 25th Hour, helping you remember everything that happened beyond the 24-7 news cycle. Now in this week's news, for the week of July 4th to 10th, 2021, Eric Adams is unofficially crowned the winner of the New York City mayoral Democratic primary with other races projected as well. Cuomo issued an emergency declaration for gun violence in New York. Biden defended his earlier-than-expected withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan as he struggles to get Americans more fully vaccinated and pass an infrastructure plan. Hurricane Elsa battered the Gulf Coast while its aftereffects were felt all the way in New York, flash flooding suburbs and subway stations. Now onto the show, things may have changed by the time you hear this. Starting with the Blasio. The city's Canyon of Heroes Parade took place this week honoring the city's essential workers who continue to work throughout the worst of the pandemic, including nurses, doctors, firefighters, EMS, police, and even bodega workers. One EMS workers union protested the parade, citing it as a false reward when they need pay raises instead. Following the release of more preliminary ballot numbers by the City Board of Elections, de Blasio Sanitation Commissioner Catherine Garcia and former legal counsel Maya Wiley officially conceded to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, declaring him the unofficial winner of the Democratic mayoral primary. You know, yesterday we received the nearly final results of the Democratic primary election for mayor. And while it is only by a razor thin margin, Eric Adams will be the winner of the Democratic primary. And I spoke to Eric earlier today and congratulated him. With nearly 400,000 votes to show it, I am proof that outsiders without the backing of the political establishment and determined women are a force to be reckoned with. And I stand here today, one, to congratulate Eric Adams on his victory in this mayor's race. And let's be clear, this is only the second time a black New Yorker has been elected mayor of this city. And that has tremendous meaning for so many New Yorkers, particularly black people. Adams declared victory and will face off against the Republican nominee Guardian Angels founder Curtis Lewa, who Adams is almost assured to be considering the city's 7-1 Democratic support. Adams even pierced his ear in keeping a promise he made to some supporters to do if he won the primary. Adams was then spotted having dinner with noted Republicans John Katzmatidis, the grocery store magnate, and Bo Deedle, a former Republican mayoral contender. More information started being released on what Adams' particular plans are for the city, starting with spearheading congestion pricing or tolling drivers going below 96th Street in Manhattan in order to help prop up the MTA. De Blasio gave his first comments about Adams' win this week, congratulating the Brooklyn Borough President and said that Adams should take an adversarial stance against Governor Cuomo. Adams himself seemingly started taking that stance when he asked what took Cuomo so long to issue an emergency declaration against gun violence this week, but then walked his tone back shortly after saying it wasn't meant to be a criticism. The police is refusing to release Eric Adams' disciplinary records, counter to the abolishment of 50A, the law that formally shielded records from the public. Adams has said that four internal affairs investigations against him during his time in the NYPD were racially motivated due to being a leader in the internal 100 Black and law enforcement group. The NYPD said it's not releasing the records because it doesn't concern records that had a subsequent disciplinary or enforcement action. Councilman Brad Lander also declared victory against Council Speaker Cory Johnson in the race to become the city's next comptroller, described as essentially becoming the city's CFO. The comptroller's office audits city contracts and makes investment decisions related to municipal workers' pensions. One of the first things Lander did was profess support for the current comptroller Scott Stringer's lawsuit in Manhattan Supreme Court that would overturn de Blasio's pandemic order that temporarily suspended the comptroller's ability to audit pandemic-era contracts. In the five-borough president races, Councilman Antonio Reynoso beat fellow lawmakers Robert Carnegie Jr. and Assemblywoman Joanne Simon in the Brooklyn Borough President race. Councilman Mark Levine came out on top in the Manhattan Borough President's race. Former Republican Congressman Vito Fasella will face off against Democratic businessman Mark Murphy for the Staten Island Borough President's race. 
Councilwoman Vanessa Gibson widened her lead against fellow lawmaker Fernando Cabrera. And in the Queen's race, incumbent borough president Donovan Richards declared victory against former Councilwoman Elizabeth Crowley, despite the race possibly going into a recount due to his closeness, as Richards tweeted at Crowley that he, quote, beat her racist ass, claiming Crowley told Richards BLM was dead. Crowley denied she ever made the comment and said she was proud of how inclusive her campaign is, striking back at Richards by calling him a Trump-like bully. Heavy thunderstorms and flash flooding caused by the aftereffects of Hurricane Elsa inundated parts of New York City this week with videos showing subway riders wading through knee-deep leaks of water located inside subway stations, with some reporting that this shows New York City's old subway infrastructure is not ready for climate change. The Blasio and Schools Chancellor Misha Porter announced a $635 million investment into the city public school system thanks to federal stimulus funding and what is called the New Mosaic Program by the city. The investment includes a literacy screening for students through second grade, after-school help for disabled students, college counseling for high school juniors and seniors, more books for school libraries, class size reductions, and a new curriculum. Chalkbeat's Alex Zimmerman also looks into de Blasio's promise to move the city's 5,000 school safety agents away from the NYPD and into the oversight of the Education Department by June 2022. But Eric Adams resisted calls to move school agents out of the NYPD while also decrying a police culture in schools, throwing into question whether the change would really go into effect. Data ranging from July 2016 to June 2020 show that there were 12,000 incidents involving school children that were in emotional distress and school safety agents, with a 24% increase in this past school year than in 2016. The report by Advocates for Children of New York said that there were 297 times agents handcuffed kids as young as 5 to 13 years of age. MTA Chief Customer Service Officer Sarah Meyer said that one out of every six subway and bus fares are now being processed through the Omni system, which accepts phone or credit card taps instead of traditional MetroCard swipes. The Omni system is supposed to replace MetroCards fully by the end of 2023. The agency has also agreed to outfit its bridge and tunnel officers with body cameras following through on a recommendation set forth by the Inspector General, hoping to settle disputes between officers and riders. The New York Times' Benjamin Weiser reported that an earlier hack on the city law department had a deeper reach than known before, with the chief IT officer being replaced and lawyers not having access to a multitude of important documents needed to defend lawsuits against the city. Over at the city council, the race for the council speaker has been underway in secret for months, reports city and stage Joe Anuda, with incumbents who won their elections jockeying for the position, including Carlina Rivera, Keith Powers, Justin Brannon, Adrian Adams, and Francisco Moya, as well as newcomer Tiffany Caban and former councilwoman and Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. The council speaker controls the city council's agenda and can be either a powerful supporter or opponent to the mayor. The council speaker is chosen through an internal vote of the city council. The Times' Mike Gold reports how otherwise the city council is now going to be the city's most diverse legislative body body, more closely representing the city's population and having a record number of female council women. Over at the Cuomo administration, announcing a shift in the state's COVID strategy, Cuomo said that he's going to focus vaccination drives in lower inoculated communities and close mass vaccination sites, including the city's Javits Center. The state health department issued a new directive that made it optional to wear masks during summer school, leaving the decision up to independent school districts, but hasn't clarified about the rule for the fall. The CDC released new guidance late this week, saying fully vaccinated teachers and students do not have to wear masks in the fall. Cuomo has also signed a bill into law allowing schools to keep disabled students that aged out during the pandemic past the age of 21 in order to prevent the loss of their academic career. Without a hint of irony, Cuomo said in a speech to his fellow governors at a virtual National Governors Association meeting that the pandemic has given governors new credibility and that his handling of the COVID pandemic, quote, was a tremendous personal benefit, presumably meaning the lessons he learned from it, but not realizing it flew in the face of his nursing home scandals, his sexual assault scandals, and current investigations into whether he used state resources to write his memoir touting his leadership during COVID. The state inspector general's office announced that they're declining to further pursue a claim that someone from the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, the corruption investigatory body of the state, leaked information to Governor Cuomo 
ahead of a key vote because the information couldn't be substantiated, even though key witnesses were not interviewed. Governor Cuomo officially declared a state of emergency throughout New York State related to increasing gun violence, despite the problem being long reported as the $139 million the governor is saying he is allotting to the issue being already apportioned in the state budget passed in April, leading many to say this was a simple political stunt for attention by Cuomo. We're post-COVID, but there's still low tide inequality. And it is still a matter of life and death. We went from one epidemic to another epidemic. We went from COVID to the epidemic of gun violence and the fear and the death that goes along with it. It's been all over the newspapers. It is undeniable. It's so bad that when you look at the recent numbers, more people are dying of gun violence than of COVID. Earlier in the week, Cuomo signed a bill into law that allowed victims of gun violence to sue the manufacturers that sold the guns under public nuisance law, designed to get around federal laws that don't hold gun manufacturers liable for gun violence and mass shootings. City public advocate Jamani Williams briefly raised eyebrows this week as he traveled upstate on what his office said was government business. Williams met with the recent winner of the Buffalo mayor race, socialist India Walton, and swatted down rumors that he might run against Cuomo in the Democratic gubernatorial primary. Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin continues to coalesce support from the state Republican Party in the upcoming race for governor, while criticizing Cuomo for his recent declaration of a state of emergency related to gun violence increasing in the state. The state Republican Party has invited former President Trump to headline a fundraiser on Staten Island for August 5th, with the Republican Party chair Nick Langworthy admitting that Trump was invited due to him being able to raise a lot of money for the party. Continuing a dispute between construction workers and the state Thruway Authority, which oversaw construction of the Mario Cuomo Bridge, Thruway Project Director Jamie Barbas notified the contractors for the bridge, Tappan Zee Constructors, that she is only willing to pay $28 million out of the $900 million damages suffered for cost overruns from Thruway mandated changes, a crane collapse, winter weather, and a tugboat crash. Barbas said the contractors' claims were without merit, whereas the construction company filed a lawsuit in the Court of Claims already. State police data shows that in half of use of force incidents throughout the state, the incidents involve black people, disproportionately involving a population comprising just 18% of the state. In some counties, the number even goes up to 60% of use of force incidents involving just black people. Over at the state judiciary, 30 former appellate judges sent a letter to Cuomo last week asking him to reinstate former judges Ellen Gesmer, David Friedman, Sherry Roman, and Joseph Maltese, who were cut from their appellate benches after the judiciary system implemented pandemic budget cuts. Following the city's plan to return all homeless adults back into congregate shelters as the pandemic recedes, a group of disabled homeless adults, including the Urban Justice Center Safety Net Project and the Coalition for the Homeless, filed a lawsuit against the city in Manhattan Federal Court accusing the city of a one-size-fits-all approach that is not working for them and violates their rights. The city has to legally give reasonable accommodations to disabled homeless individuals, but reportedly has abruptly kicked out almost 8,000 homeless people who have been staying in hotels due to the pandemic since shelters couldn't guarantee social distancing. The Department of Homeless Services assisting the city with moving homeless people has said that it has already granted hundreds of reasonable accommodations requests. Bronx public defenders are asking Justice Lyle Frank of Manhattan Supreme Court to issue a court order barring the police's use of sealed arrest records, arguing that police are using them in their investigations even though they're supposed to be off-limits. The request is part of an ongoing class-action lawsuit against police misconduct. If a person is acquitted or their charges are dropped, their records, including mugshot and fingerprints, are supposed to be discarded. Over at the Biden administration, seeking to find another way to get Americans more vaccinated after hitting a wall, Biden and his public health officials are trying to emphasize the danger of the more infectious Delta variant, which now comprise over half of new infections in the country, and likely far more than that due to delays in reporting, landing mostly the unvaccinated in hospitals and filling up COVID beds. COVID-19 cases and deaths are down by 90 percent since January. Millions of fully vaccinated Americans are getting back to their living their lives as they did before. But our fight against this virus is not over. Right now, 
As I speak to you, millions of Americans are still unvaccinated and unprotected. And because of that, their communities are at risk, their friends are at risk, the people that they care about are at risk. This is an even bigger concern because of the Delta variant. New studies continue to show that those who are vaccinated are still protected from the variant, though at a lower rate than the original COVID strain. The CDC continues to recommend that those who are vaccinated do not have to mask up, although the WHO recommends the opposite and now suggests everyone to mask up again. The federal government sent a COVID surge team to southwest Missouri as the state's COVID numbers shot up just behind Arkansas. Pfizer is reportedly planning to ask the FDA to approve a booster shot to lengthen protection against COVID and is going to start clinical trials under an updated version of its vaccine to better combat the Delta variant. Just in time for Pfizer's booster approval application, though, the FDA and the CDC released a joint statement saying that fully vaccinated individuals do not need booster shots for the time being, as their immunity will last a long time and is protected against the Delta variant. The CDC also released new guidance reversing itself that said schools should fully reopen and follow local COVID guidelines in the fall after new research shows that students rarely get sick or die from COVID and that fully vaccinated teachers, staff, and students don't have to wear masks for the fall. Questions remain for those who aren't fully vaccinated and how much will schools enforce social distancing accordingly. Following controversy over the FDA approving an Alzheimer's drug that shows disputed efficacy against the disease and the recommendation panel resigning in mass after rejecting its approval, the agency is now only recommending the drug to a limited group of patients who are experiencing only mild symptoms of memory loss or cognition. Jobless claims ticked up a bit to 373,000 last week from 353,000 two weeks before. Continuing a trend to counter monopolistic behavior in the economy through executive action, Biden is preparing an executive order directing the Federal Maritime Commission and the Surface Transportation Board to counter mega-mergers in the railroad and ocean shipping industries. Biden rolled out his major antitrust executive order this week on Friday, directing his agencies to come up with ways to fight monopolistic and anti-competitive behavior by the biggest companies. The heart of American capitalism is a simple idea open and fair competition. That means that if your companies want to win your business, they have to go out and they have to up their game. Better prices and services, new ideas and products. That competition keeps the economy moving and keeps it growing. My executive order includes 72 specific actions. I expect the federal agencies, and they know this, (laughs) to help restore competition so that we have lower prices, higher wages, more money, more options, and more convenience for the American people. Five key areas of the order's target are banning or limited non-compete agreements, increased enforcement against consolidation, lower drug prices by allowing imports of cheaper drugs from other countries, issue rules requiring that consumers are refunded for fees when baggage is delayed or when the airline doesn't provide a service, and encouraging the Federal Communications Commission to restore net neutrality, which prohibited internet service providers from blocking and throttling content and from charging for speed. In its bid to prevent the never-ending infrastructure week, the Biden administration has told the congressional Democrats that draft bill language is being developed with the aim of releasing something by the week of July 19th. Biden, in a bipartisan group of senators struck a deal on a physical infrastructure package while progressives expect to pass a human infrastructure package alongside it through the use of the budget reconciliation maneuver. By way of reminder, Biden's human infrastructure proposal includes more funding for universal elder care and child care, while budget reconciliation allows a simple majority to pass measures in the Senate, as long as it has something to do with the federal budget. The Pentagon canceled a cloud computing contract with Microsoft, saying the technological environment has already progressed so far it makes the contract obsolete. The contract was marred by controversy with Amazon suing in court over the contract, alleging political bias because of then-President Trump's personal enmity against Jeff Bezos. The Defense Department said it'll take new bids for a new contract for cloud service. Biden this week directed ICE to avoid arresting and deporting pregnant or nursing undocumented immigrants, citing the health of the mother and child. The new guidance also outlines how to take care of those mothers who do come into ICE's custody, mandating that the agency place pregnant or nursing mothers into an appropriate facility to manage their care. Two federal workers filed a whistleblower complaint alleging widespread horrible care at an unaccompanied migrant detention facility in Fort Bliss, Texas. 
The whistleblowers allege that the contractor in charge of the facility, ServPro, didn't have experience in managing detainees and hasn't given the children clean clothes or bedding. A Health and Human Services spokesman said that action has been taken to improve the children's condition, but hasn't commented on how ServPro got a contract to take care of the kids. The president also fired the head of the Social Security Administration this week, Andrew Saul, a Trump holdover, after Saul refused to resign. Saul was seen by Democrats as someone who fought unions during his tenure and allegedly slowed the release of disability checks by not giving the IRS needed documentation. In the midst of concerns over U.S. troops leaving Afghanistan at a sudden pace, including apparently not giving Afghani officials notice before abandoning Bagram Air Base counter to U.S. denials and the Taliban retaking territory at an expedited rate, Biden sought to update Americans in a speech this week. He said that the U.S. mission to Afghanistan that started soon after the 9-11 attacks to kill or capture the al-Qaeda operatives behind the tragic day would effectively be ended ahead of schedule by the end of August. Biden also said that Afghan translators who agreed to help our troops in exchange for refuge in the U.S. would be waiting for their visas to be approved in other countries in order to assure their safety. Biden downplayed the Taliban's swift progress in retaking territory within Afghanistan, saying a takeover is highly unlikely. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. The drawdown is proceeding in a secure and orderly way, prioritizing the safety of our troops as they depart. Our military commanders advised me that once I made the decision to end the war, we needed to move swiftly to conduct the main elements of the drawdown. And in this context, speed is safety. As I said in April, the United States did what we went to do in Afghanistan to get the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11 and deliver justice to Osama bin Laden and to degrade the terrorist threat to keep Afghanistan from becoming a base from which attacks could be continued against the United States. We achieved those objectives. That's why we went. We did not go to Afghanistan to nation-build. And it's the right and the responsibility of Afghan people alone to decide their future and how they want to run their country. Iran-backed militias in Iraq and Syria have continued to attack U.S. troops and diplomats with rockets and drones a week after Biden authorized an airstrike against one such militia in Iraq. Reports are saying that Biden is facing new pressure to attack those militias in order to safeguard U.S. troops and diplomats. Following the assassination of Haiti's embattled President Jovenel Moise, Biden and other U.S. officials didn't have much to say beyond advising calm to Haitians as four perpetrators were killed and two taken into custody. Twenty mercenaries in total were detained, including two Haitian Americans. President Moise was governing by decree as elections were delayed because of COVID, causing unrest in the country. Press Secretary Jen Psaki, in response to reporters' questions, said that the U.S. has sent FBI and DHS officials to assist in investigating Moise's assassination while turning down Haitian officials' request for military assistance. Answering questions about his response to a Russian hacking group's attack on about 1,500 businesses, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Biden is considering a range of options on how to respond, especially considering his meeting with Putin, where Biden promised retaliatory action if Russia doesn't get a handle on hacking groups operating on his soil. Uh, the president made clear, as I think you could see uh, in the readout, uh, that um, it, it, he underscored the need uh, for President Putin to take action to disrupt these ransomware groups. Uh, well, uh, our evil, we know, operates in Russia uh, and other countries around the world, uh, and we don't have uh, additional or new information suggesting the Russian government directed these attacks. Uh, we also know and we also believe that they have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to take action. And as you can see in the readout, the president also made clear that the United States will take any necessary action to defend its people and its critical infrastructure. So this is an example of leader-to-leader uh, -leader diplomacy, something the president feels is vital as he uh, operates in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Actual Russian government hackers had reportedly breached the Republican National Committee, although it wasn't clear whether any information was stolen and the RNC denied it was hacked. Biden said that in an hour-long phone call with Putin, he warned the Russian president that Putin better get a handle on hacks coming out of his country and that the U.S. will retaliate to protect the American people. Over in Congress, the fence put up around the Capitol following the January 6th insurrection finally started coming down this week on Friday. And Benny Thompson, who chairs the new January 6th Select Committee created by the House, said that the committee will have its first hearing by July 21st, whether or not Minority Leader McCarthy chooses which Republicans to sit on the committee. So far, the only Republican is Liz Cheney, known for opposing Trump. Over in the federal judiciary, 36 states in D.C. filed a lawsuit in California's federal court alleging that Google is taking part in monopolistic behavior by controlling which apps are allowed to be downloaded through their app store by forcing only apps that use Google's operating software, which Google denies. And finally, in national news, the global death rate from COVID has reached 4 million, underscoring the continued fight against the new Delta variant that arose from India's outbreak, and poor countries still have a hard time getting their hands on vaccines readily available in rich countries. Three studies out of England, released but not peer-reviewed, show that the death or extreme illness in COVID-infected children is incredibly low, with nearly 470,000 children in the study surviving COVID at a rate of 99.99%. After Texas, Democrats prevented the state legislature from passing a series of voter suppression bills by walking out of their chambers, stopping a quota needed to pass those bills. Texas Governor Greg Abbott set a date for an emergency session, forcing lawmakers to come back and force a vote on a number of critical issues for Republicans, ranging from banning trans girls from playing school sports to picking up the same voter suppression bills that were halted before. A new bill would even allow private private citizens to sue abortion clinics for carrying out illegal abortions. The American Automobile Association, or AAA, projects that gas prices will rise 20 cents a gallon on average over the summer, which would end up being 3 $1.25 a gallon, pointing to increased demand for gas and crude oil prices not decreasing. Former President Donald Trump announced that he is filing a class action lawsuit against big tech companies including Facebook, Twitter, and Google, alleging censorship against conservatives and seeking to overturn bans against his use of their social media platforms, which were enacted following his incitement of his followers to attack the Capitol on January 6th. Donald Trump's claims on the merit are most likely going to be dismissed since the big tech companies are private actors and not government agents, and the former president immediately began fundraising on the lawsuit as well. David Farenthold of the Washington Post also reported that Trump charges Secret Service $10,200 for staying at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey for the month of May as they provided security for him as part of his detail as he's a former president. Taxpayers have paid Trump's companies $50,000 now since he left office as Trump continues to charge the Secret Service rent. While Trump was president, his company charged the federal government a collective $2.5 million for use of his properties for various government functions. Four years after the notorious Charlottesville neo-Nazi march in Virginia that saw the death of Heather Heyer, the Robert E. Lee statue that stood on the square precipitating the violence was finally removed this week. Michael Avenatti, the lawyer that represented porn star Stormy Daniels, who was paid off by Donald Trump to hide their affair during the 2016 presidential election, has been sentenced to over two years in prison for an extortion scheme against Nike. Avenatti threatened to take Nike to court over allegedly paying college athletes for sponsorships, but only Avenatti himself ended up being charged and convicted. A week after runner Shikari Richardson was suspended for a month after a positive marijuana result invalidating her 100-meter relay win, it was decided by the U.S. Olympic team that Richardson wouldn't be included on the Olympic running team after all. Richardson had apologized for her marijuana use, saying she smoked following the death of her biological mother. In other news, the Tokyo Olympics decided to ban spectators anyway, as Japan declared a state of emergency due to a sudden rise in COVID cases. The search and rescue operation at the site of the collapsed condo in Sunnyside, Florida has now switched to a recovery phase as rescuers highly doubt they'll find anyone alive. The death toll stands at 86 people at the time of this recording with 43 people still missing. The rest of the condo building was demolished since workers couldn't guarantee the stability of the condo and the incoming Hurricane Elsa only made conditions worse. 
Hurricane Elsa did make landfall in Florida on Thursday, temporarily weakening to a tropical storm as it brought storm surges and downed trees in parts of Florida and Georgia, sending thunderstorm systems up to the East Coast. Purdue Pharma, the pharmaceutical company that had to declare bankruptcy for its role in causing a massive opioid epidemic in America, is going to settle with over 3,000 plaintiffs in 15 states for $4.5 billion, as well as remake itself into a different entity altogether, as long as the various plaintiffs vote to accept the settlement amount. 500,000 Americans are estimated to have died due to Purdue's strategy of pushing doctors to overprescribe opioids and encourage addiction. New York Attorney General Letitia James said that out of the $4.5 billion, New York will see $200 million of it. 14-year-old Zayla Avangard was the first black girl to win the Scripps National Spelling Bee, correctly spelling the word Maria to deliver her victory. Maria. M-U-R-R-A-Y-A. That is correct. <laughs> and that's it for this week's show, The 25th Hour. Hoping you stay on top of the 24-7 news cycle. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, share us with your friends, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can email your tips and suggestions at the 25th Hour News at gmail.com and become a patron today for as low as $2 a month to support the show at patreon.com slash 25th Hour News. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.